This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on the phone, it is a keyboardist extraordinaire, Rick Wakeman. He is currently on his grumpy old rock star tour of uh, U.S. and Canada. It runs, of course, uh, well... Uh, the next date is uh, September 22nd, so tonight, and it goes all the way till uh, October 27th at the uh, Plaza Live in Orlando, Florida. Many dates in between. He will be in Montreal on September 28th, 2019. I will be there. Very much looking forward to it. He has a new Christmas album coming out in November called Christmas Portraits, and uh, right after that, he will start the Grumpy Old Christmas Show Tour at the uh, Victoria Hall in Stoke-on-the-Trent on, the Trent on uh, December 5th, 2019. And that tour will run all the way up to uh, December 21st at the Butterworth Hall in Warwick. And, of course, uh, speaking of Warwick, Ricky Warwick of the Black Star Riders. I interviewed Scott Gorm recently, of course, of Thin Lizzy fame. Their new album, Another State of Grace, is out now. I do certainly recommend that you pick that up and... Yes, as you know, I have an affinity for European bands and European rock bands, and uh, there's a great Swiss band, and I know you're thinking, oh, he's going to talk about goth art again. No, 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 no. There's another Swiss band called um, Chakra, and they have a new album coming out called Mad World on February 28th, 2020. If you do not know Chakra, I would go back and look them up or Spotify them or YouTube them, whatever. They have changed singers a couple of times. The original guy left, and then they brought a new guy, and then, but they're back as uh, Chakra. The original guy is back, and so uh, they've made a couple of albums since his return. The next one, Mad World, comes out on February 28th. So uh, mark that day on your calendar. Now, uh, just before I move over to the uh, Rick Wakeman interview, I just want to say last night or uh, recently, I had a chance to see Steve Hackett formerly of Genesis, uh, in concert at the uh, Théâtre Maisonneuve in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And it was absolutely spectacular. You know, a lot of folks credit Eddie Van Halen with the invention of finger tapping. I'm pretty sure Steve Hackett had it first. So uh, anyway, I was at the show with my wife and had a chance to, to meet Steve, which was very kind and cool. And then he came out and he just tapped away and the, the stuff he was doing with his hands. I mean, I, I essentially watched his hands because before the show, uh, as I was talking to him, I, I, I handed him a Mitch guitar pick, a Mitch pick. I go, hey, uh, you, I said, I don't have business cards, but you want a Mitch pick? And I, and I showed it to him and he said, yeah, I'd love one. And, and he put it in his pocket. He goes, uh, and I said, it's, oh, it's, you know, it's a point seventy one. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. He goes, I probably won't use it just because... I use my fingernails to play. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I, I only use my fingernails to play. He goes, once in a while, you know, maybe on an acoustic or if I want a different kind of sound, I might go to a pick. But he goes, he goes I just, he goes, I, I don't like the feel of picks. I, I use my hands, my, my fingers and my nails. So I was watching this show at the uh, Théâtre Maisonneuve with, with Steve and I'm, I'm watching him play. And you're right, there's no guitar picks. There's no Rick Nielsen throw 100 picks into the audience. It's just with his nails. And it was it was mesmerizing. 
really, really mesmerizing to see a guy do that. And he's working his hands up and down the fretboard. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty sure you did invent the finger tapping before Eddie Van Halen because some of the songs you're playing are from the 70s and you're tap, tap, tapping away way before Eddie uh, was known to the general public. So, uh, hey, you know, give credit where uh, where credit is due. Anyway, uh, Rick Wakeman is on tour and it is, of course, the grumpy, you know, the grumpy old man tour or whatever. And I have to say, he was exceptionally courteous and kind. Uh, the only time that you might see some grumpiness, and I, and I think it's more comedic grumpiness, is if you follow his social medias, specifically his Twitter. The Rick Wakeman Twitter is hilarious. It, it's, it, it covers everything from shows to this and that, but every so often... There's going to be my pet did this, my garden did that, my, you know, these daily life, um, not what what's the word I'm looking for, things that happen. There's great great English right there, right? There's things that happen, um, but but it's just daily life, and he rambles on or exposes or what you you know, daily life, and and it's just funny. It is funny. It it's. Well, hey, it's Monty Python-esque. Ooh, look at that. I said an esque at the end. Anyway, uh, let us get over to grumpy old uh, Rick Wakeman, even though he is absolutely charismatic and charming. Here is the one, the only, Rick Wakeman. Hi, Mitch. How are you, mate? Good day, Rick. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, sir. Yes, an absolute pleasure to talk to to you, and I'm looking forward to the... uh, the grumpy old rock star tour that's going to actually be in Montreal on my mom's birthday, September 28th. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, that's one one day before my wife's. My wife's actually coming in because uh, her birthday's on the 29th. And uh, as I've missed her last five birthdays by being on tour, uh, in order to save, um, well, save me being killed, really, uh, she's flying in. So uh, she loves Canada. She loves... Uh, she, she loves coming over, so she's coming over for those days. Huh. So the day after your mum, I've got my wife's birthday. Well, there you go. We'll, we'll celebrate together. So let, let's quickly get into this tour. It's been 13 years since you've yeah. been on the road solo. Um, you, of course, had put out, um, uh, what was it, Odyssey uh, recently yeah. that had you know the Beatles covers and stuff. So, so what can fans expect? Is this an evening of all the best of yes, or is this... An evening of a little bit of everything. Yes, an evening of a little bit of everything. It's just me and a grand piano. It's a show I've been doing in England for 30-plus years, but I do different versions of it. Uh, basically, I sit at the piano and I play pieces of music that I've been involved with or on albums. I do some Yes stuff. I do uh, some Straw stuff sometimes. I do stuff that I've done with David Bowie, uh, with Cat Stevens, and I do the Beatles stuff because I love doing variations on on great songs and great music. And then in between, I tell completely ludicrous stories about things that have happened during my life, uh, most of which are completely unbelievable um, pretty hilarious because my life has been a mixture of both unbelievable and hilarious. Well, your life is hilarious because I do follow you on on Twitter and and it has to be one of the funniest Twitter feeds I've ever seen. Is that that entirely you or is that a team of experts? uh, no, it's entirely me. I go in in the morning, and uh, I just write whatever's, whatever happens. I mean, they're all real things. I mean, I, I did a thing, if I recall, a little while ago. Uh, I had a hat, which I really liked, 
It was only a cheap hat, but I really liked it. And I lost it. And I just I just sort of tweeted about, I can't find my hat. And I've looked at it. And then tweets started coming, pouring in, have you looked here? Have you looked there? And, and then I found my hat. And I've got, like, hundreds and hundreds of people saying, oh, great, glad you found your hat. And then I lost it again. And there was this whole thing that went on with the, with, with the hat. Um I mean, I have a lot. I have a lot of fun, and I, I. One of the things that happens to aging old rockers like myself is that you get into gardening, and I love growing vegetables. So I grow vegetables and make these lethal vegetable soups, which I sort of uh, tweet about occasionally. And uh, I must have had a thousand inquiries on, can I have the recipe for your vegetable soup? And I say, yeah, it's easy. Uh, it's just a pot full of water and throw anything in you can find. And it's just as simple as that. And the results will be lethal. That's fantastic. In fact, I was just out in my vegetable garden picking it, picking stuff up. Um, let's quickly talk about some of the work you've done in the past. You, of course, uh, were on the the Ziggy album, the, the, the David Bowie one, uncredited at yeah. first, credited after. Talk to me about working with, with David and, and coming in in that position where you're just going to come in and play one song. How much input do you have? Does he tell you what to do? And just what was sort of special about him? Because he's not just a rock star. He was sort no, of the rock star. He was amazing. I, I first The first thing I did with David was Space Oddity back in 1969. Then I did uh, the album that was actually called Space Oddity album over here, but it was in England. It was called uh, David Bowie. And I did that album within tracks like Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud. Then I did Hunky Dory and the, the, the tracks like Life on Mars. I did all that with him. And then I did uh, one track that Ziggy Stardust, as you quite rightly point out. And then um, he he asked me if I would join. Uh, he, he wanted to form the band Spiders from Mars. He didn't have a name then. But myself, Mick Ronson, Woody Woodman, and Trevor. And, we, uh, and I said, it was the same day that I got asked to join Yes. So I went, ah, I've got a bit of a problem here. And he said, well, I said, and the truth of the matter is, David's the most influ- influential person I ever worked with. Loved him to bits. Um, he gave me so much great advice. His music was wonderful. He gave so total freedom to the musicians. You play what you want. And uh, it was great. But uh, the problem was, I thought, you know, Spiders from Mars, I'm going to be playing David's music, which is great because I love it so much. And uh, that's going to be fine, and I'll have freedom to play what I like within his music. But there's a ceiling as to how far I can go because I can't throw in any of my own music, any of my own ideas, because quite rightly it's David's show. Whereas with Yes, you know, here I've got a chance of growing with the band, of putting in my ideas and thoughts on how the music should develop. And it, it was a tough decision because at that time, David was so much bigger than Yes were. Um, but um, he, he actually agreed. He said, you, you made the right decision. So, uh, and we remained friends right through to, oh, well, right through to when, when sadly we lost him. Well, okay, so talk to me a little bit about the beginnings of Yes and, and the music you were doing. Because if you look back historically, you know, it was Chuck Berry and it was Elvis Presley and the Beatles and the Rolling Stone and 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 no offense to them, but it, it was it was sort of straight ahead rock and roll. We didn't have all these keyboards. We didn't have this sort of progressive element. Talk to me about the beginnings of Yes and sort of setting out on your own musical path and not just doing three minute pop songs. I think the joy of that era for us uh, it was that it was one of the last times um, that musicians were actually ahead of technology 
you, we weren't ruled by technology of what could be done. Uh, I mean, keyboards back then were in their infancy. There was no presets. I mean, you can now buy a, a keyboard and it's got like 10,000 sounds on it. Back then, I remember talking to Keith Emerson about it. You get a keyboard, you take it to your hotel room, set of headphones and spend about four hours trying to get any noise out of it at all. And when you did, you made a careful note of how you got it. And that was it. Uh, and everything you wanted to do, you had to create. You only had eight tracks to play with or sometimes 16 tracks at, at best. So it was it was... You had to be very innovative all the time and, and come up with ideas about how you would do this. And we would experiment with all sorts of things of, you know, putting the guitar through Leslie's or I would put the organ through Wild Wild Pedals and Fuzz Boxes. And, and we, then we would, oh, we would just do so many weird different things. And it was just so experimental and great. And we would all throw in ideas to each other. It wasn't just a, oh, you just deal with the bass, you deal with the guitar, you deal with the keyboards. Uh, we would throw in a lot. I mean, one of the most influential people in that band was Bill Bruford. I mean, Bill was a great musician. He used to have some great ideas of how we could work and do things together. So it was a marvellous time. And everything we wrote was, best way I could describe it, was a musical jigsaw puzzle. Because we might write something, or somebody might come in with a line that was just eight bars long. And somebody else might have six bars of a piece. They go, oh, I've got something that will go on the end of that. And then somebody goes, oh, I've got something that will go with that. And they go, well, no, it doesn't actually. Never mind, we'll put that to one side and use that somewhere else. So we get all these bits and pieces, and they would all come together as a jigsaw puzzle. And one of my jobs, which I loved, was if some of the bits that had been brought along were in different keys, it was my job to find out how to get them uh, in from one key to another key, which I loved doing. We had so much, so much fun, and it was... Uh, Every day was experimental. How did the record companies react to you when they heard the music? Did they say, oh, whoa, 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 this is way too advanced. We can't put this on radio. There's no singles here. Or did they sort of embrace it and say, hey, you know what? If this works, you'll be the first doing this whole new thing. The truth of the matter is record companies let you get on with it as long as you are selling records. Um, and if you're selling records, you get on with it. That's fine. And, and so, yes, uh, we were very much left alone. Uh, I mean, the head of Atlantic, Armand Erdogan, um, you know, who loved the band. I don't think he understood a note that we played, but he loved it. And he knew that other people loved it, and that was good enough for him. Um, and his wonderful Atlantic records would produce music that people wanted. And he was fantastic like that. And he had everything from, you know, from Rufus, Shaka Khan to, you know, to Yes, to Led Zeppelin. Um, and we were left alone. I, I never saw anybody from Atlantic Records come into the studio when we were re recording and say, hey, guys, I really think you should do a bit more like this or something like this. Nobody ever did. We were left alone uh, to produce the music that we believed in. I see. That's the way, that's the way it should be. Um, yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It, it really is. Um, talk to me a little bit about also the differences in making music back then, because now I think... I don't want to say that, that artists, some artists have gotten lazy, but with the auto-tune and the pro tools and all the different tricks, and, you know, you, you just email MP3s to each other. You're not even in the same room or same country. I know. What were some of the challenges you faced back then, and, and what do you think sort of now of the new modern technique? Yes, it's easier to throw a, a grid, a pro tools grid up, and get, but are we losing some of the creativity? You're losing creativity and certainly losing some of the innovativeness in as much as um, if we wanted to do something, we'd have to find a way of creating the sound and things to do it. 
Nowadays, there isn't anything you can't do. And there's all the sampling. Um, and one of the difficulties with um, sequencing, which is, which is great, we all use rec sequencing to record, but it means you can do things that you don't actually physically play. And one of the things that we always did with Yes, you played it. You absolutely played it. You did not sequence it there, uh, which is important when you come to go and play live on stage. Because when you go on stage, it should, if it's a live show, it should be that. You should be playing live. You shouldn't have computers up there, you know, pressing down a key and it plays a whole riff or, or something for you. Uh, and there's too many bands that are doing that now. And, uh, you know, I see it with you know, some keyboard players in bands. You know, and I know jolly well they may have a great banks of keyboards, but they're not playing half of it. And you think, oh, this is a live show. If you went to the theatre and you went to see Shakespeare, there was a great soliloquy in Henry V or whatever, and the, and the actor mimed it, the audience would go nuts. If you went to the opera and one of the big arias, the, the, the opera singer that mimed it, he'd go mad. But for some unknown reason, it seems that people think, oh, it's perfectly fine in, 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 in sort of, rock music on, on stage and it's not and, it, uh, and it really it does annoy me um, yeah I get I get very annoyed about it I must be honest well I get annoyed about it too but here I'll play devil's advocate some people will say well tickets are 150 bucks for some shows and social media being what it is if you go see a Rick Wakeman show and it's terrible it's all over social media that he's terrible and so and so some of these bands just go you know what we're just going to fake it till we make it, and everybody's going to go to Twitter and say, "Wow, they were great," and it's to protect yeah. your investment, right? Yeah, I can, I can understand what you're saying, but here's the other question: Do those people that wrote and say we went to see it and it was great, are they aware that it was all mimed? Well, no, they're not, and that's no, and that's the catch. That's, that's that's what's wrong. That's the catch. You know, the numerous times I have seen very very uh, big name singers mainly in the pop world, admittedly, doing a show, a so-called live, and drop the microphone, and it still carries on. You know, while they're hunting around to pick the mic up, and they're still singing merrily away, uh, you know, think, oh, this is so embarrassing. It is, but but we can re rest assured, uh, folks, that Rick is live. You're entirely live. I certainly live. am. <laughs> I certainly am live. I've, uh, um, I, I mean, take this as you will. I've never faked it in my life. <laughs> No, which is good. Um, let me quickly ask you about Christmas Portraits that's coming out in November. Uh, yeah. It'll be followed up with the Grumpy Old Christmas Show in the UK, not here in North America, but maybe someday. Um, talk to me about that one, because the, the information I have is, is obviously very scarce. It's, well, he's doing Christmas songs. Well, okay, great. Well, it's, <laughs> well it, it came about because I've had two very successful piano albums in the in the UK, Piano Portraits and Piano Odyssey, both uh, top ten albums. And uh, Sony Classical, my record company, said we'd really like you to do one in that style, the way you play the piano, taking Christmas songs and playing around with them. All instrumental, but playing around with the music uh, in, in a sort of a strange way so that you could reckon, you'll recognize the Christmas songs, but there's, for example, no way you could sing along with them. And uh, so uh, I said, that sounds a great idea. So I went into the studio. It's quite funny. I went in in August and September and to get a bit of a Christmas feel, we put decorations up. We had all sorts of things. It was quite funny. And it was blisteringly hot. It was 90 degrees. But uh, it felt very Christmassy. I had tinsel and everything around. And we did it. And the uh, album, as you say, comes out on November the 29th. And I'm really pleased with it. It's a very, very different Christmas album. Because as I say, it's not 
your usual pop songs or carols that you that everybody sings along with it is you will recognize every single piece on there uh, but as i say the, the way that i do them you wouldn't exactly be able to sing along with, unless you were i don't know having a severe breakdown or something <laughs> that's funny um all right, so let me, let me ask you about piano portraits, piano odyssey, and and we'll continue with Christmas as well. The 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 rethinking of these songs of while my guitar gently weaves, uh, strawberry fields. Talk to me about who sort of comes up with the arrangements and comes up with the the way you're, they're being presented. Is that solely you, or yeah. do you sit with a t- okay? So how do you sort of reimagine right. while my guitar gently weeps? You know, without the big guitar solo. It's so it's solely kind. Of, it's actually. I don't find it difficult to do because the secret of doing variations on somebody else's melodies, which is, I, I hasten to say, has been being done for years. Classical composers have been doing it to their peers for years and years and years. Uh, but the secret is a good melody. If you've got a good melody, you can pretty much do anything with it. And uh, so I would find pieces that I know had an interesting melody or a good melody, uh, and then I'd... I'd sit at the piano and I'd, I'd work things out, come up with different ways of doing it. And you'd know pretty much within sort of half an hour, this is really going to work. Uh, and that's that's how I do it. And I have a short list of, of songs that I'm going to do. And, and certainly uh, my record company, Sony, you know, they would make suggestions and say, why don't you try this and do this? And I would try it. And sometimes I'd go back and say, you know what, this isn't working. And sometimes they'd say to me, try this and I go that's never going to work and I said give it a go so I give it a go and it works fantastically so I go back and say you know what you're dead right there that works um, once you know the pieces work then it's not too difficult because I have a I have a sort of style that I like playing in and if it fits to those great melodies of which there are some wonderful melodies out there then it, it's it's fun and it's also great fun to play around with pieces that i've been involved with as well like i did a couple of yes pieces on on piano odyssey uh and also a david bowie piece with wild eyed boy from free cloud which i always loved that i always thought it was just a, a, a great piece of music so it's a, it's an opportunity to play around um with arrangements with, with just with with melodies and songs that you really like yeah, and they're and they're they're great. In fact, I was listening to them uh, just just today before uh, when you phoned. I was actually listening to it and enjoying it. Um, All right. We're down to about two minutes here, so I'll just ask you okay. this. Uh, yes, of course, featuring uh, John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, and Rick Wakeman. You did a, a great tour. I guess it was last year. Uh, yeah. The band is on hiatus, but uh, you've been credited as saying that 2020 will be. The last hurrah. Is, is there a last hurrah? Is there more? What, what's sort of the future of uh, Yes with John Anderson? Well, we're, we're talking about it, Trevor, myself and, and John, and I think there is a very good, uh, very, very, very strong possibility that we will do a, a sort of a, a last hurrah in 2020 and 2021, uh, where we'll go out, you know, possibly with one last great track, a new, tr- new track that we'll put together that we've been working on. And also, uh, you know, another great show is to say thank you to everybody who supported us over the over the years. And that's that's the plan. Um, it looks very promising that it's going to happen. I sincerely hope it happens because uh, we'll, we'll be doing probably 60, 70 odd shows um, throughout sort of the middle of next year through to um, into 2021, which will be a lot of fun because the guys are just great to play with. 
They are, and John is great, and hopefully we'll see you in Montreal with that. But let's remind the folks, uh, Montreal uh, at L'Olympia, September 28th. Come out and celebrate Rick Wakeman, uh, my mom's birthday, and uh, a, a pre-show, whatever, before your wife's birthday. It's going to be a great celebration. It's going to be great. absolutely great. As we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Merci. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Now. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk.